and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to go ghost-busting. But in an Edwardian sense, we are going to explore the ways in which the people of Wales, and presumably elsewhere in the world, could rid themselves of a pesky poltergeist in the early 20th century. So we are going to look at some of the ways people used to bust ghosts some 70 years before the invention of the proton pack. And not only can you use this guide to get rid of ghosts, but to give it its full title, this is how to get rid of ghosts, spirits, goblins, and devils, etc. So, if you're being troubled by ghosts, spirits, goblins, or devils, or etc. I always love a good etc. I'm not entirely sure what that means. Pixies or yetis or whatever supernatural or paranormal creature might be bothering you. This guide will hopefully help you to get rid of them. And very quickly, before we dive into this guide, I should point out that this is the first episode that I've recorded with a cat sitting next to me. For reasons I won't go into right now, but if you do hear any strange noises during this episode, especially if you're listening on headphones, fear not. It's probably not the ghosts or the spirits or the goblins coming to get me or you. It's just the cat. At least, we hope it's just the cat. But anyway, let's crack on with this episode. And so, to begin at the beginning. And we are told that, to quote, in some parts of Wales, especially on the borders of Cardiganshire and Carmarthenshire, as the counties were back then, it is believed that anyone carrying a knife in their hands will never see or be troubled by a spirit even when passing a haunted spot in the depth of night. So anyone carrying a knife in their hands will never see a spirit, which means carrying a knife is a good way of keeping the ghosts away. Now, this might have been a good idea some hundred years ago, but it's an absolutely terrible idea today. So whatever you do, please don't go walking past haunted spots or anywhere for that matter with a knife in your hand, especially at the dead of night, because it's not going to keep the ghosts away. It's just going to get you arrested. But I guess that tip might be handy in an emergency. Although God knows what kind of emergency you'll be in if you need to grab a knife quickly to keep the ghosts away. But just tuck that away in case of an emergency. But if you want proof that this knife technique used to work back in the good old days, our narrator has a short tale to tell us. And it goes like this. When staying for a short time in the parish of Llandasil about five years ago, so that would make it in the, the first decade of the 1900s, I was told that there lived a few years ago a certain man in the village of Pontchan in that parish who, when coming home late one night, saw a ghost on the roadside whilst passing a well-known haunted spot in the neighbourhood. The man took out his knife from his pocket and the ghost vanished. After this, whenever he passed a haunted place, the man held a knife in his hand and never saw a ghost again. 
And I imagine he saw very few living people either. There's a madman pulling a knife out on us. But you'll be glad to know there are also other methods that don't involve pulling out a knife. And just to repeat myself one last time, don't ever, ever, ever carry a knife about at night or any time of day for that matter. Idiots carry knives. Don't do it. But to continue, we are told that in South Pembrokeshire, a V-shaped twig, that's V, the letter V, a V-shaped twig of the mountain ash was considered a protective against spirits, which is a much better form of protection than a knife. A nice V-shaped twig from the mountain ash. It's better than a knife and it looks cooler than a knife. And if you can't find a twig, it was also believed once in all parts of Wales that to wear body linen inside out kept away both evil spirits and witches and i'll repeat that quickly in case you're doubting your own years there but yes you wear your body linen inside out to keep away evil spirits and witches which nowadays i think is a technique that has advantages and disadvantages because unless you're on one of those sort of ghost hunting tv shows where you want to capture the evil spirits i think most people would want to to keep them away but all of the witches that i know are lovely people and the last thing i want to do is to be using my underwear to, to keep them away in some shape or form so maybe you can file this one under emergencies as well if you're really being troubled by an evil spirit then you can resort to wearing your body linen in, inside out but bear in mind that your witchy friends might also be kept away now of course there are even more methods again beyond the twigs beyond the underwear you could also nail a horseshoe against the door and we are told that even in the present day which remember is the early 1900s but even in the present day in contemporary times people all over the world think there is some good luck in finding a horseshoe and to a young girl it means a new lover so if you're a young girl who finds a horseshoe and then you go home and nail it above your door i guess that means you're doubly lucky because you have a new lover well assuming you're looking for a new lover that is and you also get to keep away the evil spirits but we're not really concerned with romantic folklore on this episode there's plenty of other episodes about that for this one, let's get back to the methods of busting. And we are told that when a spirit troubled a house in Wales, it was sometimes customary to call together the most godly persons in the parish to hold a prayer meeting. So prayers from particularly faithful members of the parish was also good for removing ghosts. And at other times, a conjurer or a priest was sent for, and I do like the way conjurers and priests are interchangeable back in the early 1900s, but a conjurer or a priest was sent for, for it was formerly thought that a clergyman had the power to lay, and that's lay, L-A-Y in inverted commas, or exorcise spirits. And when it came to exorcising these spirits, it wasn't a, a one exorcism fits all approach. There were different kinds of exorcisms depending on what you were dealing with. And we are told that when the devil was in the belfry, so we're dealing with the devil himself, you know, we've escalated beyond ghosts. When the devil was in the belfry at Llanarth Church in Cardiganshire, as it was, the vicar went to drive away the evil one with bell 
book and candle. So if praying fails on top of all those other methods, but if getting the most holy people together to pray, if that fails, then you can call in the exorcist or someone with the powers of an exorcist who could use all manner of methods to remove the ghosts or devils or whatever might be ailing you. And if you're wondering what that bell book and candle might be, well, besides being a James Stewart film, it's a method of excommunication. And to return to our narrator, until the time of Henry VIII, it seems that it was customary to curse mortals as well as to exorcise fiends with bell, book and candle. For in an old book called Dugdale's Baronage, published in 1675, it is said that in the 37th year of Henry III, a curse was denounced in Westminster Hall against the violation of Magna Carta with bell, book and candle. So that's the history behind bell, book and candle, at least according to this folklorist. But what does it actually mean? Well, in an account of the ceremony of excommunication, we are told that three candles were carried before the clergy and that as each candle was extinguished, prayer was made that the souls of the malefactors or schismatics might be given over utterly to the power of the fiend as this candle is now quenched and put out, which is a very fancy way of saying that by snuffing out the candles, you are snuffing out the devil or the evil spirit or whatever it might be. You are extinguishing its power as you extinguish the candle. And I'm sure you can all see the, the, the symbolism and everything that's wrapped up in that. But anyway, that's enough bell, book and whistle. Let's put bell, book, bell, book and candle. Don't you don't use a whistle. I'm sure that would just wind up the devil even more. That's enough bell, book and candle. Let us move on to another account. This is called Asprid Pen Pompren Plas or a spirit laid in a bottle, in which we are told that Pen Pompren Place, which I'll be honest is a place I was not familiar with beforehand, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that properly, but P E N P O M P R E N Place is a small mansion near Talabont in North Cardiganshire, again, as the counties were back then. And according to the late Mr. John Jones, who was of Bristol House, he claimed that a spirit there once troubled the family and the servants and especially the head servant who had no peace as the ghost followed the poor man everywhere whenever he went out at night and threw water into his face. And I've talked about all manner of paranormal activity on this podcast over the years, from the mundane to the absolutely bonkers, but I don't think I've ever come across a ghost before who followed somebody about at night to throw water into their face. But that's what they did, or so we're told. And to continue, at last, the servant went to a wise man or a conjurer back to the conjurers again. And the conjurer came with him to Pen Pompren Place to lay the spirit and transformed it into an insect in a bottle which was securely corked. Then the bottle was thrown under the river bridge close by. Now, I've spoken about this kind of exercise in this form of ghost busting, if you will, on many episodes before, most recently on episode 
89 about the exorcist who fought a shape-shifting demon. So I won't repeat myself again here, but basically ghosts or spirits or demons or whatever they were, it was believed by some, well, maybe it still is believed by some today, but it was certainly believed by some back then that they could be weakened by transforming them into smaller creatures like an insect which could then be trapped in a bottle or some other container, whatever you've got to hand. And like in this example, it was put under the river bridge. But the idea was that you then put this somewhere safe and out of the way, so nobody came along and opened it, uncorked it, and let that ghost back out. Now, of course, things never quite go to plan. And even if it takes a thousand years, eventually that thing will resurface and people will let it out. And to go back to the, the Ghostbusters analogies, which I quite like using because I think most people listening to this podcast have seen Ghostbusters. And if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, what are you doing listening to me waffle it on? Go and watch Ghostbusters. But opening the cork on this bottle is a bit like Walter Peck shutting down the containment unit, but maybe on a slightly smaller scale. Well, depends how big the demon was <laughs> that he captured inside it. But by opening the bottle or whatever container it might be, you are then releasing this, this demon, this spirit back into the world. And of course, nobody wants to be doing that. So if you do find a strange bottle with a cork in it, don't open it. Even if it looks like there's a message in there or something useful, it's probably a trick. It's probably not from the police as, as, as in Sting police. It's probably something much more dangerous. And another example I spoke about recently, if you did want to go back and check these out, was in Haverford West, back on episode 96 about the ghosts of water. But anyway, before I go off on a tangent, back to this episode. And to quote, about 60 years ago, a spirit which appeared in all forms, pig, mouse, hare, etc., at Ast Isav in Llanvanir in Carmarthenshire, was laid by the celebrated wizard Harry's of Curtacadno, good old Harry's of Curtacadno, Court of the Foxes, who, yes, has popped up in previous episodes. And to quote again, I was told of this by two old men in the village of Llanvanir about five years ago. So as recently as the early 1900s, people were talking about these Kundras coming up against spirits that weren't just being transformed into insects. They could themselves transform into pigs and mice and hares, etc. Another good old etc. What, what use transforming into a mouse would be? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's to get away. But anyway, in the next account, we have a quick description of one such spirit or one such goblin, as they refer to it. And this is called the laying of the Havod Achtred goblin. And we are told that Havod Achtred is a large mansion a few miles from Devil's Bridge in Cardiganshire, yet another place I've mentioned several times. I didn't plan this, but this episode is turning into something of a greatest hits episode. There are so many reoccurring themes and characters coming back, but in Devil's Bridge in Ponte Arvanach, there is a tradition in the neighbourhood that in the time of the celebrated Colonel Jones, who, who hasn't been on this podcast before, but very quickly, Thomas Jones was an MP and a landscape architect and fantastically wealthy. And at about the beginning of the last century, so so this was recorded in the early 1900s, so I'm assuming he means in the early 1800s, the place Havod Achtred was haunted by a mischievous goblin. Fortunately, however, there happened to be a wizard 
not far off, and the squire, so it is said, sent for him to Havard to lay the ghost. The conjurer came, and when he arrived at the spot where the haunting usually took place, he surrounded himself with an enchanted circle, which the spirit could not break through. Then he opened a book and went through various incantations to invoke the spirit, which presented himself in various forms. First, it appeared as a bull, secondly as a bulldog, and at last as a fly which rested on the wizard's open book. In an instant, the enchanter closed the book and thus caught the evil one in a trap and was only allowed to go out under the conditions that he should betake himself to the Devil's Bridge and there, with an ounce hammer and tintack, cut off a fathom of the rock. Notwithstanding this laying of the spirit 100 years ago, there is a rumour still throughout the whole of North Cardiganshire that Havard is still haunted. And in that brief description there, there are lots of reoccurring themes cropping up again. Of course, there's this idea that these conjurers could fight against the demons as they transform into increasingly smaller creatures in order to trap them, as with the bottles. Now, the slight twist with this tale is this is the first time that a spirit has been trapped by effectively squashing them in a book, by slamming closed the pages of a book. That demon in the form of a fly is then trapped within that book and is released on the condition that they go to Devil's Bridge in order to complete some task that, as with other tales, will take them a hundred, a thousand years, however long it'll take, but it's never forever. At some point in the future, maybe during our lifetimes, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, this demon, this spirit, this goblin, whatever it might be, might complete that task and once again terrorise the area. So these Ghostbusters back in the day, these Edwardian Ghostbusters and these Victorian Ghostbusters before them, and even further again back in the, the very early 1800s, they were just postponing, I guess you could say, postponing the ghostly, the paranormal activity. It was almost a case of this is inevitable. At some point this will return, but in our lifetimes we are safe. It is now some future generation's problem. Now, moving on to our next tale, and I'll be honest, the title alone is going to pretty much tell you the entire story, but I will give you a brief synopsis of it as well. And this one is called The Monachty Ghost, Doomed to Cut the Rock Near Llanrusted. And it goes like this. About 70 or 80 years ago, so in the later 1800s, Monachty, a fine mansion in the neighbourhood of Abba Iron, was rumoured to be haunted. My informant is an old man named James Jones from the Golden Lion in Llanarth. And Jones said that when he was a boy at Pantacavn, he often felt almost too terrified to go to bed, as it was reported that the Monachty ghost was so small it could go through even the eye of a needle. And his father's humble cottage was not without holes, especially the window of his bedroom. So, if you've got a drafty house, this ghost was so small it could get through the eye of a needle, 
it could get through any nook and cranny and get into your house. So it's not just an expensive heat-in bill that you'll be faced with, you could also be plagued by very small ghosts. And to continue, at last, however, students from Astrad Myrig College were sent for to Monachty to lay the ghost, which they did, so Jones said. And I could make a joke here about students, certainly in my time as a student, would be the last people I would call to solve a haunting. But anyway, these students, I'm sure, were much more capable than I was back in the day. And so Jones says, they doomed the unearthly being to cut the rock near Llan rested. And our narrator finishes by saying that this proves that students, as well as clergymen and ministers, had the reputation for being able to lay spirits. So there you have it. If you are really being bothered by a ghost, you just can't get rid of it. Maybe you just need to call in the students. But I'm assuming they have to be students of at least something relevant. Theology students or parapsychology students, maybe. But anyway, moving on. And this account concerns the laying of a ghost in Stackpole. Stackpole Court, the beautiful residence, we are told, of the distinguished Earl of Cordor, which is famous for its legendary law. Now, I'm sorry to keep doing this, but this is somewhere else I spoke about recently on episode 97 in relation to good old Gerald of Wales, who 700 years ago went there to sort out a devil called Simon. Yeah, yes, a devil called Simon. But this account is much more recent, well, certainly when compared to Gerald of Wales's time, back in the early 1900s, when the neighbourhood was supposed to be haunted by the spirit of an old lady. And the following description, which wasn't entirely clear to me when I read it, it, it seemed a little bit contradictory, but I will, I will read it to you. We'll try and make sense of it together. But it goes like this. To quote, This ghost appeared in the form of a party consisting of two headless horses, a headless coachman, and a headless lady in her carriage. And when I read that description, it sounds to me like four ghosts. And that's not including the carriage or anything. You've got the two headless horses, and you've got the headless coachman, and you've got the headless lady. However, this area is just said to be haunted by a single ghost, which is described as a lady, but that is the description of them. So even though they are referred to in the singular, they are talking about what they describe as this party of ghosts or, or, or ghost. But to quote, at last the ghost was laid by the parson of St. Patrox, who doomed it to empty a pond with a cockle shell for a ladle so that the phantom is not seen now. Which is a very Welsh form of punishment there. Cockle shell for a ladle. But whether that was one ghost, whether that was four ghosts, whatever it was, you're not going to see one or any of them again because they've been sent to this task. But of course, this was a century ago, by which time they might have completed this task. And so if you notice any headless women or headless horses or anything popping up in the area, Maybe they finally finished the job. And we'll wrap things up on this episode by taking a slightly closer look at these, these, these tasks that people are given, because I've spoken about it a lot on this episode. I've spoken about it on several other episodes. And it's not a uniquely Welsh thing. It's not even a uniquely British thing or even restricted to the 17th or the 18th or the 19th centuries, because we are told to quote again, 
The idea of giving employment to a spirit, which is a lovely word for it, employment. We're not making them slaves for a thousand years, we're giving them employment. But the idea of giving employment to a spirit is most ancient. And in Grecian and Roman mythology, we find that the Danaides, or the 50 daughters of Danius, who all except one slew their husbands on their wedding night, were doomed in Tartarus to draw water in sieves from a well until they had filled a vessel full of holes. So, never mind the Edwardian times, we are going all the way back to classical times, when the most famous example of this kind of punishment, in which the women were doomed to draw water in sieves to fill a vessel full of holes, this horribly sadistic form of punishment, was used to represent futility, to represent a fruitless, repetitive task and maybe that is what continued throughout the ages, and that is what we are seeing in these ghost stories. They are just being given repetitive, pointless tasks that will never come to an end as a form of punishment, and as such, that makes it purely symbolic. These creatures, these evil spirits, these demons are effectively doomed to repeat the same task forever and ever and ever, with no chance of being set free. And on that cheerful note, so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast, which is perfect timing because the cat has jumped on my lap and is clawing away at the microphone and my headphone leads and clearly wants my attention. So may maybe we can get a word out of her. Let's... Uh Well, you might hear some purring. She's clearly pleased with herself for disrupting my, my, my podcast. And hopefully she can hang on a few minutes more while I, while I wrap things up and then she can have my full attention again. But as always, if you have enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, you can treat me to a coffee via my website, which is always very, very much appreciated. Failing that, if you'd like to support the podcast for free, you can just leave a nice review, give it a quick thumbs up or five stars, whatever the options are for being nice on whatever platform you are consuming this on. If you'd like more ghosts and folklore, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, which are available from all good bookshops, offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, if you do find a strange bottle, especially one with an insect inside, it's probably best to leave it alone. Until next time, no star. No star.